welcome to the Divergent Fitness Podcast, the podcast that uses behavioral science to teach women to get stronger, not smaller. Welcome back. We're here, up and running in the second season of the show, which is really exciting. I have some guests that I am really going to be happy to share their perspective with you and just continue having this really interesting conversation around health, fitness, body diversity, systems work, making health goals sustainable and uh, ensuring that they come from a place of self-love and not self-loathing. It's just so interesting how so much of the work that I do with clients is related to mindset. When you think about what people really need, typically they don't need to know what to eat or what to do to be healthier, right? Uh, you know, they know, okay, move my body more generally is going to be a really good rule of thumb. Eat healthier, eat more fruits and veggies. Like people have a general understanding of what's required in order to live a healthier lifestyle. The problem is really, uh, it's a lot of things, right? But it kind of boils down to like mindset and coping strategies, right? And how you are able to kind of utilize those two things to your advantage instead of having those work against you. And that's why I think it's so important to work with someone who has a really good understanding of psychology and behavior science because you're not getting hung up on a lack of knowledge, right? You're not getting hung up on an inability to Google simple strength program, right? Everyone knows how to gather information to be able to move toward their goals. The issue really has to do with uh, mindset around health behavior and how your mindset affects your ability to sustain something for the long term. So the strategy that I wanna share with you tonight is my biggest strategy that I utilize when I'm not only working with myself and coaching myself, but when I'm working with clients. And so I wanna take some time to share that tonight. You know, in a couple episodes prior, I talked about my top three strategies to be able to stay consistent for life. I've been doing this a long time and I haven't mastered everything. Uh, It's not a perfect system, it's not a perfect situation, but I think that the tiny behaviors that I engage in on a consistent basis or on an 80% consistent basis really are enough, right? And so what I'm recognizing over time is that done is better than perfect. The 80-20 rule is going to be highly preferable to being perfect for some small period of time. Uh, 80-20 rule means that you adhere to your program and and really do your best and you're spot on in your goals 80% of the time and then there's a little bit of flexibility there. Uh, Be able to, you know, indulge and and let yourself have a sense of get, you know, accessing what you want. There's no sense of restriction. I'm utilizing that 80-20 rule and just generally learning a different way to talk to myself. Uh, instead of the narrative that I inherited not only from society but from my family to be able to take that narrative and really look at it and identify whether or not I still agree with it and if I don't working to change it over time right and because I've done that work and I'm, I'm always doing that work that's the work that I love coaching my clients on right that's the mindset shift that I want them to be able to have as well so Tonight I want to share really just my biggest strategy to help people have a mindset shift. And this is going to seem too easy. But I want you to really, after you hear this strategy, I want you to really look at your behavior, uh, your, your 
your private behavior, which means your internal behavior. Um, that's what behavior analysts call private behavior because it can't be directly observed by another person. So this private behavior of like the internal dialogue you're experiencing, I want you to try to be mindful of that and see what's the flavor, right? What's, what's the tone of that internal dialogue? And ultimately what we want to identify is what's helpful and what's not. So we're not really going to focus on when things, uh, whether things are morally good or morally bad or um, right or wrong. We're really looking at things in terms of effectiveness. And this creates a situation where you don't waste a lot of energy judging your thoughts and instead you can just determine whether or not they're helpful and then if they're not, you can work on them. So the biggest thing I do with my clients is I teach them to view their behavior objectively. I want them to view their behavior like a scientist. Uh, I want them to become unattached from their behavior and rather instead of seeing behavior as some kind of a moral failure or uh, some kind of a proof of a character flaw, what I want to do is really teach them to look at their behavior as simple data. So instead of saying, I should be able to do this, I should be able to do that, really just accepting, coming from such a place of acceptance where you can say, the reality is that I'm not doing that and I don't know why and I don't even know if it matters why, right? Because I can start to adjust my behavior before I even understand it fully. Um, I've talked about biting my fingernails in the past uh, on my Instagram and how this is something that I did for, uh, I mean, I just quit a year ago. So it's something that I did for 37 years. Well, I mean, I guess I was probably, maybe I was three when I started, right? I was very young. I know that I was very young because I remember it being uh, something that I got reprimanded about often, right? So it's something that, you know, through the years, I knew that it, I had been doing it for a long time. And for 37 years, I could not understand why I could not quit engaging in this behavior, right? It was like I would quit for a period of time, and then I would start again. I tried to shape it in a lot of different ways. Uh, I got, you know, um, I would paint them. I would do all kinds of things, right? nothing would stick. There was no intervention strategy that would stick. And what I finally acknowledged when I, when I stopped what's called shooting all over yourself, right? Kind of like a play on shitting all over yourself, but you're shooting because you're saying like, oh, I should be able to do this. Why can't I do this? Everybody else can do this. You know, like there's some kind of a character flaw if I can't do this, like should, should, should. Basically stories you're telling yourself about what makes you right or wrong or good or bad as a person, right? Like a good, a good, you know, a smart woman should be able to do this. Uh, a person with willpower should be able to do this, etc. So what happened when I finally accepted that I was not going to be able to stop biting my fingernails is that it opened up some space for me to then move towards solutions. Like, okay, if that's the reality, that's the situation. The data of my 33 years of experience shows me that all of the things I've tried in the past were not effective. So, okay, this is nothing that I've done has worked, right? I'm going to need to do something very different if I want a different outcome. So once I finally accepted that what I was doing wasn't working and if I wanted to change this behavior, I was going to have to change my intervention, I decided that I would get a certain kind of nail polish put on that you can 
get at the salon, it's uh, it's like a powder, so it's a very thick. Um, and I had tried other nail polishes before that, you know, gel or shellac, um, regular manicure, uh, fake nails. Like I had tried other things, but I hadn't tried this dip powder. And essentially what I needed was to block access to my own nails and I needed the new nail to be thick enough that I couldn't bite through it. And there was a feeling of like, am I really solving this problem if I'm just blocking my response to it? You know, or blocking my access to it? Like, am I solving it? Is there some deep underlying issue that I have some severe anxiety that started when I was a young child and if I really take some time and look at this, I could sort of like heal my way out of it, out of that compulsion. And that's not to say that none of that could happen. It's just to say that in 33 years, uh, none of the personal work or psychological work I've done has yielded that result. And that I really wanted to block access to, to myself, hurting myself, whenever I was bored or stressed or whatever, right? In, in the interim, while I continue to try to figure out, you know, if there are deeper reasons for this and, and to just generally heal any kind of trauma that I experienced, uh, I didn't want to keep suffering during that time, right? Because you don't know if it's going to take you six months or six years to heal. And so you need to know how to not hurt yourself in the interim while you're doing that work that takes a lot of time. And so once I stopped seeing that behavior of biting my fingernails as some kind of a moral failure, and I just saw it as data, and I also looked at the data of my experience and recognized that I hadn't been able to quit doing anything I had done, it's sort of like you lay it all on the table and you're just fully honest with yourself about it. Like, here's my goal, right? Here's what I want. Here's my current behavior they don't match or one is not going to lead me to the other and then you can you can have choices right now because i'm not getting attached morally right because i'm viewing the behavior as data instead of viewing it as some kind of proof of my worth or my value as a person in the world now i have the cognitive capacity to think of solutions when you get fused with really scary thoughts and and when i say fused what i mean is when you believe them, right? that's what psychologists would call fusion with your thoughts. And in acceptance and commitment therapy, there are a lot of defusion strategies that are focused on helping us to become unhooked from our thoughts and to see thoughts as something that we observe, not something that we are, right? We don't have to believe our thoughts. We do not have to uh, react from our thoughts we can observe them and we can determine whether or not they have meaning we can discard them if they don't uh, or we can just allow them to be there but not not give them a lot of energy or focus and what happens is when you get really fused with thoughts that cause psychological distress so thoughts like I'll never be successful I knew I would fail I'm too lazy and worthless to do anything I'm ugly, I'm unattractive, I'm whatever. Okay, so these are really disturbing thoughts because essentially what they all do is they communicate you are unlovable and you are unworthy. All right, so if those are the thoughts that I'm fused with and I'm believing those thoughts, I'm unlovable and I'm unworthy, am I in a psychological headspace to identify solutions to my problem? 
my problem might be that I'm not eating healthy. Okay, from that problem, I potentially gleaned information or came to conclusions that are obviously untrue, like I'm unlovable and I'm unworthy, essentially. Right? Now I'm telling myself a story about the problem instead of focusing on a solution to the problem. The story is I'm unlovable and unworthy. Now I'm in a place where I'm seeking comfort because I'm experiencing a lot of psychological distress. If eating is a comfort for me, now I'm choosing to eat probably foods that aren't super healthy for me in order to cope with the story that I'm telling myself about my value and my worth in the world. So you can see if you just view your behavior as data, you can completely circumvent that whole process, right? You can circumvent that whole story. You can choose instead because you're looking at behavior as data, you're looking at the facts of the situation and you can view it like a scientist would, right? Or if a friend came to you with this problem or if your child came to you with this problem, you would go into problem solving mode. But sometimes with ourselves, we don't go into problem solving mode because we get fused with our fears around the problem. So now that you have a little bit of space from the problem, you can look at it really clearly, right? The problem is I'm not eating healthy, right? I'd like to eat healthier. Okay, great. We're just looking at, at, at that as data. The data is that what you're currently doing of grocery shopping for yourself and trying to meal prep on the weekends but not having time um, and then food's going to waste or and then you're just not buying groceries out of a fear of wasting the food so then there's not even groceries to prep in the house. So maybe we're identifying A, the problem, B, the current strategies around solving that problem because we need to know what's working and what hasn't worked and what might work if we tweak it a little bit. Now you've identified current successful or unsuccessful strategies around solving that problem. And now you can identify some new strategies, all right? What are some things that we haven't tried? What are some things that I've tried but I didn't adhere to fully? What are some things that I've tried and I adhered to and they have promise but they didn't quite work the way I adhered them? So like, for example, just as, a, just as an example, if I'm thinking about, you know, prepping food, I might think, here's what I've tried, buying groceries, it's not working, it's not supportive enough, okay, but here's what could work, right, okay, maybe I don't have to scrap that whole strategy, I can just tweak it slightly, so maybe I buy groceries, but I buy groceries that are already mostly prepared, right, the veggies are chopped, or they're the veggies that you steam in a bag, um, and I'm only going to buy deli turkey and prepped meat from the deli so I don't have to cook anything so you're identifying that it's not necessarily that your previous strategy was wrong or an unsuccessful strategy right and not worth looking at but it means that the way you employed that specific strategy was not supportive enough so like there could be a tweak to it that would suddenly make it work right and so that's what I want to do with my clients is identify all right, what's working, what kind of worked, what can we tweak it to make it work better? And then coming back to the data, right, of, of their experience and checking in and saying what's happening, what's working, what's not. Once you empower people to see quote unquote failure, right, or like non-adherence to the plan, once you work with people to see that as information, there's also no shame around telling your coach, right, or them telling me, 
kind of what's going on in a really honest way. So instead of being scared that it's a sort of confessional when we meet together and we talk about how things are going, it's really an interesting and science-based conversation around simple behavior, right? What's going right? What's going wrong? What strategies are working? What aren't? Using hard data, right? Let's see your steps. Let's look at your uh, general nutritional intake. Using all of that data to have an interesting conversation with them. What I want to do is help my clients have more awareness around their own behavior and more mindfulness around their own behavior. So that instead of me imposing you know, my strategies or my solutions or uh, my, my reactions to things, right? Instead of imposing that on them, I can check in with them and say, so what seems like it works for you when you feel really triggered emotionally? Or what desserts feel decadent but won't take you off track, right? What does that, what does that mean for you? And help clients have more awareness around what's working for them, what's not working for them, and and more lightness around that that process of having a conversation around quote unquote failures and being able to say, yeah, this isn't really working and knowing that your coach is not going to judge you for it and because, and you know they're not gonna judge you for it because they taught you not to judge yourself for it. That's the really exciting thing, right? If I'm checking in with a client and we're texting and I say, how are things going? And they say, you know, I, I did pretty good yesterday. I could have done a little more water, uh, but I'm proud of myself because I did A, B, and C. And then I was emotionally triggered and here's how I would have reacted. And I noticed that I reacted really differently. And I'm thinking, this is so amazing. This person is not shaming themselves, right? They're acknowledging where they did something correctly. They're acknowledging where they reacted differently than they would have in the past. and At the same time, they might be acknowledging, and here's how I want to continue to get better at this in the future. You know, like I would do exactly what I did before, but I might add in this extra little change that I think would have been really helpful. And so people get to a point where they feel really comfortable reflecting on their own behavior because they're not attaching so much of their value to those behaviors, right? If the kids come to me and they say, you're really grumpy today, If I'm so attached to being a happy, positive, perfect mom all the time that my kids come to me and tell me that I'm not being that and because I'm so scared to look at that truth, I refuse to even look at my current behavior, now I can't improve, right? If you want to be a good parent, you have to acknowledge that sometimes you're not a good parent because a good parent acknowledges when they fall short and apologize for it. But if you're so fused with like, I have to be a good parent, I have to be a good parent, your kids come to you and say, hey, you messed up. Now your definition of good parent means perfect. You're not gonna be able to hear them. And the same goes for stories we tell ourselves. If you're so fused with this idea of perfection in fitness behavior, right? I can't mess up, I have to perfectly adhere, or I'm not going to make progress. It's hard for you to look back at a situation where you perceive that you fell short and know how to do anything about it because the the disappointment and the emotion around having made that mistake is too big to look at it clearly, right? If you take a snow globe, you shake it up, you can't see through it clearly. And it's like allowing 
some of those emotions to settle and allowing yourself or learning how to cope with and tolerate them instead of try to escape them allows that 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 glitter in the snow globe to settle right so now you can see clearly all right what's the situation where did things go wrong and how can we adjust in the future so the wonderful thing is that if you can learn how to do this for yourself not only will it drastically increase your psychological well-being but it's so wonderful for kids right if you have kids to be able to model this behavior for them of hey be curious about your behavior instead of judging your behavior approach it with a little bit of curiosity so that you can understand right so that you really want to you come from a place of wanting to understand yourself and support yourself versus uh, judge and shame yourself now i'm in a place where i have the sort of cognitive lightness to to look at it in a really clear way right and then if you can share that with your children it applies to every situation in life you know when they're studying for something in school when a relationship goes wrong when there's a dispute in a friendship any kind of issue if they can learn how to approach from a place of curiosity and a place of openness instead of judgment they are going to be able to access solutions and more effectively and efficiently solve the problem and in a way that also doesn't damage their self-esteem. So when you're looking at your behavior this week, I want you to really be mindful of your internal dialogue. Try to notice, you know, does it have curiosity about your behavior or does it tell you what your behavior means, right? You skip your workout. What does that voice say? Does that voice say something like, uh, you know, some days are hard, Uh, I can work out a different day and that's okay, or I can be one workout short this week and that's all right. Uh, Next week, I will consistently do my meditation because that helps keep my stress low and that will increase the likelihood that I go to the gym. Or, right, that would be coming from a place of problem solving, acknowledging the problem and and thinking of some solutions and, and not really getting fused with it otherwise, right? There's no judgment about it, there's no shame. Just, hey, here's what happened. Uh, Here's what I think I can do in the future to minimize the chance of that happening again, right? Or is the internal dialogue, you know, oh my God, I'm so lazy. I can't believe I skipped the gym again. I suck. I knew I wasn't going to adhere to this plan, blah, 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 right? What is it? Ideally, what we do is we learn to parent in ourselves that in a way that helps, helps us sort of fluctuate on the spectrum between, you know, self-compassion of it's okay, you had a hard day, you can take a day off and relax, right? It's okay to miss a workout. It's okay to eat unhealthy for one meal, right? That's one end of the spectrum maybe. The other end of the spectrum would be something like authoritative rigidity, right? Where it's like, get up, stop being lazy, figure this out, you're fine. You said you would do it, now do it, right? It's, it's, one is very loose and flowy and one is very rigid. And when you're learning how to parent yourself, you have to pull a little bit from both, right? Like you can take the self-compassion and say, yeah, you know, your work has been really stressful and, um, and it's okay to want to relax, right? And do a, and skip a workout. And then the other part of it might say, but I still want you to go on your walk tonight right it's like you you give yourself the space to not do things perfectly but you don't give yourself so much space that you don't do anything at all 
And so that's what we're learning how to do. And the only way to sort of like oscillate between those two options is to be clear-headed enough that you're not fused with the emotions around the problem. You're not fused with your judgments around the problem. You can use that, that headspace on actually solving the problem, right? And moving past it very quickly and not needing to spend a lot of time on it because you are able to access all of those critical thinking skills that you use for every other problem, you're now able to use this for problems related to yourself too. Or I wouldn't even say problems, but let's say behaviors that you'd like to modify. So that's my biggest strategy. That's my biggest mindset strategy when I'm working you know, to coach myself and also when I'm coaching my clients. I want you to notice your behavior this week, right? Your, your thinking behavior, your internal dialogue. I want you to notice what pops up when you perceive a shortcoming or, or what pops up when you feel like you've had a long day, what, when things trigger you, right? What kinds of thoughts are coming to mind? Getting a little bit of understanding around that might help you to know if you need to do some mindset work. And if you do, there are a lot of really great resources, um, but working with a, a coach someone who is has a really good understanding of uh, behavior science is really important on a health journey because like I said in, in the beginning of the episode, it's really your ability to adhere is going to be more about mindset than uh, you know having just a program in hand, right? Uh, really having someone to teach you how to work through some of those tricky thoughts in a way that allows those thoughts to be there but doesn't let those thoughts direct the course of your life, right? That's something that we want to do very consciously, and this work that I'm talking about can help you do that. So, if you have any questions, feel free to DM me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is divergentfitnessca, as in California. You know, I always love to chat on my Instagram. I'm always posting what am I eating, or some simple strategies that I have, or mindset around body diversity or body positivity and body neutrality. So feel free to reach out there. If you leave a review, it means so much to me. Uh, It helps people be able to access the podcast more easily, right? It helps with the algorithm. And also it's just really helpful for me to understand what parts of this podcast work feels most relevant to them, feels most impactful, uh, so that I can continue to create content that feels like it really resonates with as many people as possible and of course please share with family and friends or anybody that you think can benefit from the information it's always awesome to dive into this conversation together and i'm excited next week we're gonna have a wonderful certified personal trainer on who is going to talk with us about chronic pain her handle is the mobile cyborg and she's going to talk specifically or we're going to have a conversation about chronic pain and and loving your body and uh, more mindset work, right? So it's going to be a really great conversation for anybody who has chronic pain or who loves somebody who has chronic pain. Uh, This is going to be a really helpful episode. It's relevant to me because uh, my girlfriend has rheumatoid arthritis. And so we talk a bit about chronic pain. So I want to shout her out uh, and thank her for giving me this idea about this episode Uh, that might be able to benefit so many people who are also in pain. So tune in next week, and I'm excited to have that conversation and continue to dive into these topics. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Divergent Fitness Podcast and go out there this week and get stronger, not smaller. Take care. Bye.